the scripture for us tonight. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But with the wisdom from above, it is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This has been the word of the Lord. Zoe, thanks for uh, reading our passage. Um, welcome to RUF. I'm Ben. I'm the campus minister here. And tonight I have the privilege um, to get to introduce uh, a man a lot of y'all know, uh, Morgan Angert, the pastor at uh, Good Shepherd. But before Morgan comes up here, I just wanted to um, remind you of why we do this. A couple of times each semester, um, it's, a, it's a blessing to get to bring in some of our friends who lead churches that you go to, that we trust, that are a blessing to us. Nathan was here in the spring and he'll be back as soon as I can get him back. And Morgan is here tonight and Garrett was here a couple of weeks ago. And this is, uh, the method to the madness is RUF wants to be uh, a service to you to make it as easy as possible to get your foot in the door and to begin to put roots down in healthy local churches. The local church is your destiny. It's the home God made for you where you get to flourish and thrive and grow for the rest of your life. And so RUF is kind of an arm of the church reaching out to campus to bring you back into healthy local churches where you'll be the rest of your life. And so um, we get to bring uh, these friends in um, just to, to share. Morgan's actually going to be preaching uh, from our series in James uh, tonight, and then I'm going to swap with him and go do the same thing at Good Shepherd this Sunday. So, um, Morgan, come on up, and thanks for being here, brother. We love you, and appreciate you being here. Um, I'm really glad to be here with you guys tonight. Uh, as Ben said, my name's Morgan, and I am the pastor over at Good Shepherd. Uh, and most of y'all know this at this point, but I went to UGA when I was in college. I graduated in 2010. I met my wife here. Uh, ben was our campus intern when I was at RUF, so I've known him for a while now and his wife Anna. Um, so for God to bring us full circle where we came back to Athens in 2016, uh, Ben and Anna came back to Athens I think in 2017 or 2018 thereabouts. Um, so to be back full circle here, and I just I hope you guys know what you have in Ben, what a gift he is, uh, how wise he is. He is truly one of the wisest people that I know. Uh, he's one of the best teachers that I know. I love getting to sit under him. I actively go seek out his sermons when I don't get a chance to listen to them so that I can grow and I can learn from him. Uh, so he is a gift, and I, I hope you guys understand how great he is and can appreciate him periodically. The only annoying thing about Ben uh, is that he's really good at fixing things, and uh, he puts all other husbands to shame. He sets wildly unrealistic standards for the rest of us. So I needed to say that publicly and get that off of my chest as we continue. Uh, but as Ben said, we're going to look at James chapter 3, the second half here. So one of the things 
that has happened between me and Ben in the past is that we'll sit down together at the beginning of a semester or beginning of a, a year and just go, hey, what are you teaching through? What are you teaching through? What are we going to do? And like nine times out of ten, he and I will both land on the same book for whatever reason. We'll sit down and we'll just go, go, and it's like Exodus or James or whatever else, and we're doing it at the same time. So this year we just decided to give it a go um, and see what happens. So Good Shepherd is also going through the book of James. We're about a week behind y'all. Um, so I'm jumping ahead a little bit into chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, um, and we are going to look at James's uh, ideas here on wisdom. So let's pray, and we'll ask for the Lord's help as we look at this text together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the gift of uh, RUF, Lord, what you're doing in this ministry at UGA. Lord, I pray uh, that your spirit would be at work in the hearts of these students. Lord, that you would be raising up a generation. Lord, a generation that loves you and a generation is convinced that you love them. Lord, a generation that knows what it is to be sought after by a God who passionately pursues broken and needy people. Father, I pray that you would work through our time tonight as we look at James chapter 3. Thank you for your word that doesn't hold back, from, from the truth that doesn't hold back, from challenging us in every aspect of our lives. Lord, would you give us your truth tonight as we spend time in your word? Would you speak through me as your instrument? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we look at this text, let me start just by asking you a question, and I don't necessarily want you to answer it out loud. Use your, your inside conversation. Um, I, I want to ask the question, what, what, what is wisdom? If you had to define it for yourself, if you had to identify it, what is wisdom? And I don't necessarily mean what is the textbook definition of wisdom. So if you go and you look up wisdom, it's something along the lines of, of knowledge applied to your life or information applied to your life that you actually live out. If you think about it in, in theological terms or, or in terms of, of religion and faith, then it's the knowledge of God applied to your life or God's will applied to your life. But that's, that's not necessarily what I mean. I mean... What is wisdom when it comes time to make a decision? What is wisdom between you, when you find yourself torn between two different choices? Choices maybe about your future, choices maybe about relationships, choices about your money, choices about decisions that you have coming up as it relates to school or work or whatever else. How do you determine what wisdom is? Let me give you an example. When I was in college and I was dating my wife, it came to be about junior year, and we started kind of realizing, hey, we, we kind of want to marry each other. We'd like to walk down that road, which, if you ask my opinion, junior year, I was really young, okay? So if any of you are thinking about it, that's my opinion. I was really young, but we were thinking about it, okay? And so we started to talk to each other and, and plan out what this could look like. We started to have conversations with the people around us and kind of get their opinions and advice, and then finally went to go talk to our parents about it. And I had, in that experience, two very different conversations. When we went to talk to Lauren's parents about it, my wife's parents about it, and when we went to talk to my parents. When I went to talk to my wife's parents, this is what happened. I went to her dad, and I said, hey, I would like to, to marry your daughter. Again, I'm a junior in college. I mean, imagine me, but with like way less gray hair and just way more fun. And so I went to go talk to, uh, talk to Lauren's dad, and I said, hey, I'd like to marry your daughter. Um, I love her. I love your family. Like, I, I think this would be great. And I remember her dad had, I didn't say I think this would be great. That would be such a terrible way to lead. But <laughs> I promise I was more articulate than that. Um, but I said, you know, I'd like to do this thing. And so he said, okay, I've got one question for you. When, when do you want to get married? And I said, you know, we're going to be seniors and then probably summer after senior year. And he goes, I think you should get married sooner than that. 
which I can't decide if that was a compliment to me or a shot at his child, but like one or the other, okay? Either way, he was saying, I think you should get married sooner, right? I think you should get married halfway through your senior year, which is inevitably what we did, and I was 21, and that's really young. <laughs> but then we went and we had a conversation with my parents. So we went out to dinner with my parents, and, and we, we told them, hey, you know, we think we're going to get married, and this is what we're thinking. Um, and my parents went, slow down. Are you sure? Right? With my future wife sitting next to me, like, do you think this is a good idea? She's your first girlfriend. We got all the questions in the world. And we're like, I like her, you know? Um, so I sit down with them, and they're, they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. Are you sure about this? That's really fast. Don't you want to get done with school first? Don't you want to get a job first? Don't you want to date, like, forever before you get married, and then you're 35, and you're established? Right? That's the dream. How do you decide between those two things? How do you decide what wisdom is? Is it wisdom to wait? Is it wisdom to go ahead and get married? Right, and if, you, if, you, if, you've, if you've grown up maybe in the church, you've grown up hearing about godly wisdom, right? You go, okay, you take that decision and you take it back to the word of God and you look for God's counsel and you look for how it lines up with the truth, but what if God doesn't speak directly to that thing? What if he doesn't say very much about dating or engagement in the way that we want him to say it explicitly? Which one of those is wisdom? Both are fine choices. Neither one of them necessarily are going to lead us into sin. How do you decide what wisdom is? Inevitably, I went with the choice that I liked better. I married my wife halfway through senior year because I stinking wanted to. Because I really loved her and I wanted to marry her. And the Lord has blessed that and it's been wonderful. But at the end of the day, how did I choose between those two things? Whatever fit, whatever I wanted to do in that moment. And isn't that so often what our pursuit of wisdom looks like? That we start to think between two decisions, that we start to be faced with difficult choices that we're not sure exactly what to do with, and we start to seek out counsel, and more often than not, we end up following the counsel that just fits what we wanted to do in the first place anyway. Especially these days, where there's innumerable voices that you can go to and try to find Right? If you want counsel, you can go on the internet, you can go on social media, you can go on TikTok, you can go wherever you want, and they'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. So how do you determine what wisdom is? Especially when you're trying to make those choices and you're trying to figure out what wisdom looks like. Especially when some of that language is couched in kind of theological vocabulary. It sounds godly. They use Christian language. Sometimes they even use scripture. Not now, Siri. Sometimes they even use scripture. Right, but does that necessarily mean that it's wise? How do you determine what wisdom is? This is where James enters in for us. Because James will go, in this passage, he'll go, listen, you're not necessarily going to know wisdom by what it sounds like. Right, because sometimes wisdom can sound Christian-y, but it might not actually be godly. He says, you're not necessarily going to know wisdom by what it sounds like. You're not necessarily going to know wisdom by its words and the advice that you get, because it's more than advice. James says, you'll know it when you see it. You will know what wisdom looks like by what it produces. Right? Wisdom's not just information. It's not just data. It's not just facts. James goes, when you look at God's word, and when you look at what it has to say about wisdom, right, God doesn't necessarily lay out a blueprint for every single decision that you're going to make in life. But what it often does tell you is who to go to when you need wisdom and what wisdom is going to look like when it's produced in you. 
He says, when it comes to wisdom, it's not always going to be what it sounds like. Sometimes it's going to be what it looks like in terms of character and in terms of the fruit that it produces. And so as we look at James chapter 3 and we ask this question, not just of what wisdom is, but what does it actually look like in a person, we're going to see how James differentiates between two different kinds. He says, we're not just going to talk about what godly wisdom looks like, but also what earthly wisdom looks like, because they're vastly different. He says earthly wisdom is going to look this one way, and godly wisdom is going to look a different way, and he calls that wisdom from above. So if you're, if you're taking notes and you're taking an outline, we're going to look at three things. The wisdom of the world, we're going to look at wisdom from above, and we're going to look at wisdom in the flesh. So wisdom of the world, wisdom from above, and wisdom in the flesh is going to be our outline this evening. And I might say this morning because that is my context. So what does wisdom of the world look like? How does James lay this out? Okay, so he begins in verse 13. He asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you? He loves the rhetorical question. Have you gotten to see that already? He loves to ask rhetorical questions and then just destroy you with the answer. So he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Right, and you, you might expect these in the context maybe where he's saying these words to a group of people. Maybe somebody starts to raise their hands and he goes, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the weakness or the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. That is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish, selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So he goes, you know what? Wisdom from above, it's not going to look like earthly wisdom because earthly wisdom is characterized by what? Jealousy, selfish ambition, and being false to the truth. What does he mean by that? If we're, if we're talking about what wisdom looks like, the kind of fruit that it produces in you, then he's saying, listen, what, what earthly wisdom is going to produce in you is jealousy. What is jealousy? It's looking at somebody else's life, looking at something that they have, and resenting them for it because you don't have it. Or, or and maybe you've experienced Jealousy is looking at somebody else's life and resenting yourself for not having it because you're not good enough or you're not pretty enough or you're not strong enough or you're not smart enough. Right? Jealousy isn't always resenting the other person. Sometimes you can actually resent yourself for not having the things that you see in other people and the things that you desire there. So he says wisdom from above or wisdom that's, that's of the earth, it's going to look jealous. It's going to look like coveting something that somebody else has so much so that you end up resenting them for it and trying to get it from them. And he's going to go, it's also going to look like selfish ambition. Now, what does that mean? That word in the Greek, it actually has connotations of, of basically politicking, campaigning for yourself. He's speaking to a group, presumably, of Christians that he's writing to and saying, listen, do you know what earthly wisdom looks like? It looks like factions and parties within your midst where everybody is vying for power and everybody is vying for reputation and everybody is trying to get everybody else on their side because they're right, right? It's selfish ambition because it is pursuing the self above all else. And so he's saying, listen, earthly wisdom is characterized by jealousy, coveting things that other people have because you want it for yourself. It looks like selfish ambition, coveting power so that you can be in control, coveting reputation, so that you can be seen as good above other people, right? More worthy, smarter, whatever it is that you think of when you think of the things that you're pursuing for yourself, 
right? He's saying, listen, earthly wisdom, it's all about me. Earthly wisdom, it's all about me. It's about what I want to make myself feel better, to make myself feel more influential, to make myself feel more powerful, to make myself feel like I belong more. I'm going to put it simply like this. Earthly wisdom is seen by what it seeks to gain for itself. Now think about this for a second. How much do we see that in the world around us? Every movie, every show, every podcast, all the TikToks in the world. I keep using that word because I think by saying it, I'll understand what it is. But all these videos that you watch, what do they tell you matters more than anything else in the world? Yourself. Right? Put yourself above everybody else. Put your needs above everybody else's. Put your comfort and your security and your beauty and your fitness level and your grades. It's not just the internet, y'all. It's all around you. It's counsel we get from our friends. It's advice we get from our parents. It's what the university world tells us matters most is you and your grades and how you perform. Earthly wisdom is seen in what it wants to gain for itself. I just finished uh, the show Rings of Power. Did you guys watch that show? I set my expectations low, which means I enjoyed it. Um, but it reminded me of Gollum, right? He's not actually in the show. I'm not sure how that was relevant. It reminded me of Gollum from the Lord of the Rings, right? What, what is Gollum but a creature that is completely governed by his desire, right? He is completely governed by his desire for the ring of power. That's what he wants, is his ring at all times. And in the books, whenever somebody else has the ring, he hates that person. And he wants to kill that person and get the ring back. And whenever he has the ring himself, he hates everybody else and wants to kill them for fear that they might take it from him. That's jealousy and that's selfish ambition. Right? You're either resenting other people for what they have, or you're resenting other people because of the threat that they pose to your own self-worth and sense of gain and success and reputation. Jealousy and selfish ambition are an anathema to good relationships, right? It makes us resent other people. It makes us compare ourselves to other people. So the question is, at some degree, right, what's your ring? What are you pursuing? What's that thing that you feel like if you had it, would really bring you happiness? And what's that thing that you feel like everybody else has that you can never quite get your hands on and you hate other people for it, if you're honest? And you struggle with other people that have it, if you're honest. What are those things? James says worldly wisdom, it's seen in our endless pursuit of trying to gain the things that we don't have for ourselves. But there's another option that he says is wisdom from above. And again, he doesn't necessarily lay out the instructions for what wisdom from above is so that you can fill it in on a test. He lays out what it looks like, what it produces in us. He says, in contrast to wisdom from the earth, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. It creates disorder in every vile practice because you're constantly jockeying for position he says, wisdom from above is first what? Pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Part of me just wants to like stop and let that just sit. It's pure 
It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's peaceable. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. Where wisdom from, above, from, from the earth, I'm going to get this right eventually, where earthly wisdom is seen and what it seeks to gain for itself, right, the wisdom from above is characterized entirely differently by a desire for peace, by gentleness, by purity, by being open to reason, by being full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's summed up in what James says earlier in verse 13. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. What is a truly wise person who is pursuing godly wisdom for their life look like? They look meek. And isn't that true of what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, if you've read through that? That's Matthew chapter 5 through 7. When he's laying out his vision for what this kingdom of God is going to look like that's coming to bear into the world because his son is now here, he says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. What does it mean to be meek? I came across this definition that I thought was helpful. The writer said, meekness is humble assurance under all circumstances, founded on a deep trust in God's will and providence. So it's, it's humble assurance that's, that's founded in a deep trust that God is in control and that God is caring for you. And he writes that such trust results in a peaceful and gentle disposition, even in the face of persecution or difficulty. It frees a person from the temptations of self-reliance and pride. We think of meekness, and we think of a tiny little mouse that's weak and cannot fend for itself, and that is not the biblical vision of meekness. The biblical vision of meekness is a deep and profound trust in your Father who cares for you. Your Father who loves you. Your Father who has counted your days for you. Your Father was there, who was there when you were being formed in the womb. Your Father who knows you better than yourself. Your Father who loves you so much he was willing to send his Son for you to shed his blood for your very life and the forgiveness of your sins. Meekness is a life that trusts in that Father. Meekness is a life that's willing to give up things like pride, things like endless desire for control, things like self-gain, things like self-reliance, because they trust that they have all that they need in their Heavenly Father who cares for them. If earthly wisdom is seen in what it seeks to gain for itself, wisdom from above is seen in what it is willing to give up. Think about that for a second. I know some of you are going to start to push back against that. It's seen in what it's willing to give up. All the advice in the world, all the wisdom in the world is going to tell you to gather. Work on yourself. Work on your own circumstances. Don't worry about anybody else, anybody that's difficult for you. Cast them out of your life. Surround yourself only with people who affirm you. Think about how that contrasts here where it says that, that wisdom from above, it's peaceable, it's open to reason, it's gentle, it's willing to live with ambiguities, it's willing to move towards difficult people, it's willing to pursue peace when there is strife and conflict, it's willing to put so much trust in the Lord that you're okay with people who challenge you in relationships that cost you. Is that what you've seen in your churches? Is that what you've seen on your campus? 
as people who are show, so assured of their identity and the love of God in their lives that they're no longer vying for their own position. They're no longer so worried about being right that they will destroy anybody else around them that they view as wrong in pursuit of their own rightness. You see, this biblical vision of meekness is this willingness to let go. Not because you're wrong, but because you're not going to use your rightness as a weapon. Because you're not going to use your rightness to destroy the people around you, but you're going to live assured of what is true and what is good in the love of the Father. There's a, a book that was written by G.K. Chesterton in 1908. It's called Orthodoxy. It's very short, but I would encourage you to read it with someone else because it is also very confusing at times. But it's called Orthodoxy. And at one point he writes in that book, and it's relevant to tonight, I promise. What we suffer from today, now rewind it back, today is 1908 when you're G.K. Chesterton, okay? He says, what we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition, and it has settled upon the organ of conviction, where it was never meant to be. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. Nowadays, the part of a man that a man does assert is exactly the part he ought not to assert himself. The part he doubts is exactly the part he ought not to doubt the divine reason. We are on the road to producing a race of men too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication table. Ouch. 1908. It's 2022. Where are we at? Right? We trust our thoughts too much. We trust that what is true and what is good and what is right in the world is our inner dialogue and our feelings and our perceptions. And if wisdom from above is trust and assurance in the God who loves us, then what we should be sure of is the truth and what we should be willing to give up is our own pride, our own need to be on top, our own need to prove ourselves because we have already been proven in Christ. Which brings me to the final point here. If wisdom from above is seen and what we are willing to give up, then how do we gain it? How do we live like people who are willing to give up our own, our own sense of, of pride, our own need to prove ourselves and defend ourselves? How do we live that way? Scripture tells us there's one way. There's one way, and it's, it's faith in Christ, right? It seems like a simple answer. It seems like a given almost. But Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians as well. He says there's, there's wisdom in the world, but it's self-seeking. He says the wisdom of, of the cross is folly, right? The wisdom of God, it looks like foolishness to the world around us because it looks weak because the wisdom of God the answer for sin, the answer for brokenness in the world was to send his own son, not in victory, but in what looked like death, what looked like weakness, to send his own son to actually die on the cross and to give his life. And so Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, 
so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says, you want to know where, where you find wisdom? Do you want to know where it starts? He says, it starts on the cross. It starts with a God who was willing to, to take on the entire human experience, to take on our flesh, to take on our weakness, and then die for our sins so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could be proven righteous, so that we could have eternity with him, so that we could be adopted into his family. These are all the promises of redemption that we are given in Scripture. And he said he did it through the cross. He did it through death. And so when we follow a wisdom that seeks to elevate ourselves over everybody else, that is not a godly wisdom. Because that's not how God did it. And that's not what the cross looks like. And so for us, we have to constantly go back to Jesus. We have to constantly go back to the cross. And when we get advice, and when we try to determine between two different decisions, we have to ask ourselves, what am I seeking to gain, and what am I willing to give up? Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking on the form of a servant, right? That's the picture. And Paul says, that's yours as you cling to Christ by faith. That's your mind. And it's yours because God was willing to die so that you could have it. So put your faith in him. And I know what this sounds like. I know where it's like, that's all well and good, but like, should we get married or not? Should I do this major or not? Here's, here's the struggle, and I promise I'm trying to do a close. Whoa. Here's the struggle. You guys, you guys have no idea the advances in, like, recipe technology in the last 10 years. And I talked about this with our staff today. Well, first there were cookbooks. And then there was, like, the Food Network website. And when you went there and you looked up, like, a recipe, you had to dig through eight pages of that person's feelings leading up to them cooking the meal. Like, you got the weather report the day that they decided they wanted to make sourdough. But what do you have now? You have the jump to the recipe button. That is God's good gift to the world. Like, I don't want to know your kids' names. Just show me the zucchini loaf. It's not that hard. But isn't that sometimes what we want from God when we go to him and we ask for wisdom? Like, God, just, can, we just, can we jump to the recipe? Can you just tell me what to do? Can you give me the neon sign in the sky and can we just get there? But the problem is that if the wisdom from above is wisdom of the cross, right, then sometimes wisdom is not what's going to keep us from suffering, but what God is going to do in us through the suffering. Sometimes we need the process. We need the struggle. We need the questions. We need the context. We have to sit with the silence and the awkwardness and the mundane reality of our day in and our day out, and you have no idea what God might do through you in that. And you have no idea what you might look like as you lean into him in that process. Maybe at the end of whatever it is you're facing right now, you might be this much more gentle or this much more peaceable. 
or this much more open to reason, or this much more meek. And in doing that, and in seeing that in your life, you're becoming this much more like Jesus, who Scripture tells us was gentle and lowly, who tells us that we can bring our burdens to Him, and He's willing to bear them for us. And we saw it in the cross. He says, that's, that's where wisdom starts. So before you jump to the recipe, lean on Jesus as you're going through what you're going through. And I have no idea the burdens that some of you are bearing. But in my experience working with college students thus far, some of y'all are bearing, bearing burdens that I, I will never understand. Far heavier than anything I have ever been asked to carry. But I promise you, God's doing something. He's at work in you as you go through that. And if James is right, and I would like to think that he is, what he's doing in that is, is making you a little more wise. In a wisdom that's going to look like this. In a wisdom that's ultimately going to make you look a little bit more like his son. So if wisdom from above, I'm going to flip it again. If earthly wisdom is seen in what it seeks to gain for itself, the wisdom of the cross is seen in what it's willing to give up. Our sense of control, our pride, our endless desire to prove ourselves. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that in this moment, Lord, in your, in your truth and your goodness, Father, that you would help us, Lord, to see the gospel clearly. Lord, to see it through your word, to see how in James's words about what wisdom looks like in the harvest that it reaps, Lord, that he is pointing us to your son, Jesus Christ, who he walked with, who he knew, who he saw in the flesh. Lord, would we be a people who pursue that kind of wisdom, a wisdom that's willing to let go of ourselves for the sake of your glory, a wisdom that's willing to shed pride and self-centeredness because we have nothing left to prove because it's been proven on the cross. Father, let these truths sink in and stick to us tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.